Hi guys, I'm Jason, the creator of The Grey Rooms. Just wanted to thank all of you for what we have accomplished so far. We have reached the midway point. Come on, join in with me. And uh, to kind of show you our appreciation, we went ahead and slapped together this nice double feature. Now, these double feature stories were submitted to us for our Behind the Door contest during our preseason, and we liked them so much we wanted to use them. So, without taking up too much more of your time at the intro here, the intro was written by our very own Mr. Brian Black, so I do hope you enjoy that. And let me just tell you what, we have a cadre of exceptionally talented voice actors and actresses in this episode, so yeah, a lot of fun to make. So, uh, on to the stories. Our stories may contain graphic or sensitive content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You wake on a hard, cold floor. So cold, it burns your skin. The air smells of sulfur and ash. Your head throbs. Your mouth is dry. You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter. Because now you belong to the Grey Rooms. channels, but nothing is ever on. This is ridiculous. Wait. 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 Maybe. The Church of the One is unity. Unity. A condition of harmony. A continuation without deviation or change. The quality or state of being made one. Have you become one with us? Oh, pfft. Suck my unit, lady. Where'd I put that remote? Oh, right here. 
Alright. Damn. My popcorn is cold. From Boulder, Colorado, the singles capital of the world in 4K, comes the Hookup Game. Now here's our star amongst stars, and our host, Graham Rowan. Thank you, thank you everyone. It's good to be here. We have a very special show for you today. Lots of lovely vixens and wonderfully charming men to match them up with. Let's start game number one. Our first beautiful young lady creates sculptures out of chicken bones and is entranced with the macabre. We've gone ahead and exhumed three bachelors who need a little love in the afterlife. <laughs> Will one of these men bury her with the affection she desires? There's one way to find out. Here they are! Good luck, gentlemen. Bachelor number one is an ex-Navy SEAL and works as a security consultant for Dark Star. He's from Omaha, Nebraska, now living in Boulder, Colorado, and he loves craft beer. Meet Wilson Brooks. Thanks for coming, Wilson. Known for his techniques of torture and wonderful gifts, Bachelor number two is known to make an entrance with all of those keys ringing every time he moves. He's from the Grey Rooms, and he'll kill us if we ask anything else. Meet the Warden! Do that one guy. Thank you. Someone wants to make it out of here. Finally, we have Bachelor number three. He's a popular action star from Hollywood, California, and has so much muscle he can't move his neck. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you Michael LaBeef. Good luck, Mike. Love your movies. We love your beef sticks, man. If it ain't LaBeef, don't put it in your mouth. <laughs> Security, could you? Yeah, thanks. Yes, everyone loves those beef stick commercials, Mike, almost as much as those catchy one-liners that everyone repeats every day at home. Uh, but enough about my wife. Let's talk about our mysterious young lady. We've been keeping her comfortable in our soundproof room so that she wouldn't be able to hear the introductions of our wonderful bachelors. What will she think of these guys? Let's bring her in and find out. Dark and mysterious might be a great way to describe her. She writes obituaries, reads horror fiction, owns a haunted rocking chair, and claims to have been killed by spiders in another life. <laughs> She's a local of Boulder, Colorado. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Audrey Cross. Audrey, how you doing? I just want to get this over with. <laughs> of course you do, of course you do. It's exciting, isn't it? No, I'm really not interested in- Why don't we start by having our bachelors introduce themselves to you? Bachelor One. Hi, Audrey. I totally get you, by the way. We should be friends. Oh. And bachelor number two? You sound annoying. <laughs> Bachelor number three, help me out. 
Hey, baby, nice nukes. You want an F-bomb? Oh, my God. Is that Michael LaBeef? Jesus Christ. We specifically told you not to use one of your damn one-liners, Mike. Ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> In it to win it, Graham. Sorry, other guys. No harm, no foul, buddy. Hey, Warden, is that a sickle? Shh. I figure I can take off one of his ears, and he wouldn't even notice. Oh, you want to fight, weirdo? I'm going to crack open a can of knockout juice, bitch. Audrey, our bachelors are certainly fired up. Yeah, the amount of testosterone in this room is going to make me barf. (laughs) Sounds like a great time for a commercial break. Commercials. Might as well see what's going on in one of the rooms. Hmm. Let's see. How about room 1958? Oh. The Midnight Channel. This should be a good one. When I was a child, there was this rumor going around school about a midnight channel. Supposedly, it was a show you could only find by changing to the exact frequency at the exact time. The time was 12.01 a.m. on a Saturday night. The frequency, however, was unknown. It was always changing. If you were lucky, you picked the right frequency and found it. If you were unlucky, you just got some white noise and another week without being able to brag to your friends. One particular weekend, I got lucky and found the channel. I was about 10 at the time. A few of my friends claimed to have seen it, but their stories never matched and the details changed over time. One of them claimed he saw dirty adult movies totally uncensored. Another said he saw people getting murdered for real. I thought they were full of crap, but every week I still tried, hoping to get lucky. And one week I did. My parents were asleep upstairs. I snuck down just before midnight and turned the TV on. The white noise blared to life so loud I nearly crapped my pants. So I quickly turned it down and waited in silence, hoping it didn't wake my parents up. I held my breath, listening as hard as I could for any sign of life upstairs. 
Nothing stirred. I sighed in relief and turned back to the TV. It was one of those old ones with the manual dial you had to rotate to find the channels. My watch said 11.59 p.m. I prayed it was correct. I held the dial, nervously, waiting. I still had two minutes, but I didn't want to miss the chance, not this time. This time, I would find it. I would find the mysterious midnight channel, and everyone would hang off my every word for the next few weeks, if not months. I was about to become the most popular kid in school. 12 a.m. My hand was shaking. My arm was beginning to tire already, but I refused to let go of the dial. The moment my watch ticked over to one, I would be ready. The wind howled outside. I remember it so clearly even now. The curtains were closed, but they ruffled slightly in the wind, and out the corner of my eye, I saw a shadow standing there. I turned to look at it, but it was gone. My fingers twitched on the dial. My heart raced in my chest. I felt a chill from the cold air, yet a bead of sweat was building on my brow. I swallowed audibly. Here it was. It was coming. 12.01 a.m. I turned the dial furiously, scrolling through the white noise. A channel appeared and my heart jumped into my throat until I realized it was just the late night news. I kept turning. I had to find it. I would find it. It was here somewhere. Tonight was my night. Another channel. Some old black and white movie like the ones my mother liked. That wasn't it. I kept turning. White noise. More white noise. My hand began to shake even more. Time was running out. Why wasn't it there? My hand stopped. The curtain billowed, and a cold breeze that couldn't possibly have come through the closed windows blew over me. This was it. I found it. I found the Midnight Channel. I sat back down on my heels and watched, entranced. I never told anyone what I saw that night. Not until now. I'm still not exactly sure of what I saw. There was a man standing in the corner. The camera panned out to reveal he was standing in a large room with several doors. He shuffled over to one like a caterpillar on many legs might and reached for the handle. The man hesitated, looked directly at the camera, and then went inside. The room was dark, except for a single light over an operating table on the far side of the room. The man tried to blend into the shadows, his expression fearful. A mannequin was lying on the table. 
the joints that connected its limbs to its torso, visible from afar only. It wasn't a mannequin. It turned to look at the man and let out an ungodly silent scream. There was no sound, and yet I felt it. I felt it in my head, in my throat, in my chest. The eyes were bleeding, and then the head returned to its former position. The man quickly exited the room and ran to another door. This room was bright. X-rays covered the walls from ceiling to floor, but they weren't X-rays of anything I'd ever seen before. Animal heads attached to human bodies, several limbs where only one should be mutated, fetuses, and horrific creatures of the night. I, I felt just as much disgust as the man on the TV did. He ran back to the main room and sat in the middle of the floor panting. The doors around him began to bleed. The roof started to close in. The walls warped and shifted. And he stumbled across uneven ground as he moved towards the door he had yet to go through. This time he was outside. A large, dark forest spread out before him. The man sighed, and relief washed over his face. He took a step, and the moment his foot touched the dirt, he froze. A chill ran through me. I realized I was now mere inches from the TV, enthralled with what was before me. Eyes blinked in the distance. The trees shuddered. He turned to me and said, You can't escape. They're coming for you too now. The scene faded. The eyes lingered for just a few seconds too long and then we're gone and the familiar white noise of late night TV returned silence I looked at my watch it read 2.13 a.m. huh the, the show couldn't have been longer than two minutes how had more than two hours passed I turned the TV off and snuck back up to bed. I never told my parents about what happened. I never told my friends either. I saw something I didn't understand. I felt guilty. I felt scared. The next day it began. I couldn't place my finger on it exactly, but I felt like I was being watched. Somewhere those eyes were looking at me. They were waiting for me. They were coming for me. They were in the back of the classroom. They were in the trees behind the playground. They were in the car behind me. They were in the roof as I went to sleep at night. 
But years passed and nothing ever happened. I forgot about the eyes. I forgot about the midnight channel and the night I was lucky enough to find it. I forgot about everything. Until a few months ago. Someone's watching me. This time for real. I was fixing the rearview mirror in my car as I was getting ready to return home from work. When I saw something in the distance, it was the shape of a person, but unclear, a standing shadow. I turned around to look with my naked eye, but nothing was there. I looked in the mirror again, and there it was, standing, watching me. I turned the key and drove off. Every time I looked in the mirror, it was still there. I stepped on the accelerator and floored it, running a red light in the process. Cars honked their horns, a driver leaned out his window to yell some choice words at me, but it was nothing but a blur. No matter how fast I went, it was still there, watching me, waiting. Those words from my childhood kept repeating over and over in my head. You can't escape. They're coming for you too now. I went to the bathroom to wash my face and clear my head. I looked up, my heart already Sitting in my throat, I slowly opened my eyes and let out a sigh. Nothing was there. <laughs> I laughed to myself too much overtime. Lately, I'd have to ask for a few days off sometime soon. Maybe hit the beach for a bit and unwind. As I got in my car the next morning, I started. It was still there, standing in the distance. I turned around, but again, could see nothing. It was only in the reflection of the mirror. I drove to work doing my best not to look in the mirror the whole way there, but I could feel it. It was back there, somewhere. You can't escape. They're coming for you too now. On my lunch break, I went to the city to grab some lunch as I passed the store windows it was there, standing at a fixed point somewhere in the distance, 
I turned around, but was just met with a large crowd of people going about their business. I was starting to think I was actually going insane. However, over the next few days, I noticed something. It wasn't just there in the distance, watching me, waiting for me, no. Not just waiting. It was getting closer. It was difficult to see at first, but after a week or two, it became very apparent the shadow was closing in. Slowly, but surely, it was getting closer. It was almost close enough to make out its features. Almost. Last week, I saw it in my bathroom mirror for the first time. I fell through the shower curtain and tried to scale the wall in my fear to escape, but it wasn't there. I couldn't see it, but it was there. That night, as I lay down to sleep, I heard it. Faint at first, but it's getting louder. White noise. At first, I thought it was just a ringing in my ears, but it's also getting louder by the day. It's in the back seat of my car as I drive to work. It's behind me in the line as I order lunch. It's in my room watching me as I sleep. How much longer? Until I wake up and it's directly over me, ready to take me back to its midnight channel. A few days ago, I tried to look up the midnight channel on a few urban legend websites. Maybe see if there was a way to get rid of the thing haunting me. I couldn't find anything. I sent a message to one of my elementary school friends for the first time in years, asking him if he remembered the rumors when we were kids. The reply came back. What are you talking about? What's a midnight channel? Why are you bringing this up now? I can almost see it behind me now. Sometimes when I wake up during the night and my eyes have yet to adjust to the dark, I can see it. Eyes. Eyes like those in the forest that time when I was 10 years old. Eyes surrounded by a faint shadow, a faint shadow like that one I saw in the corner of the room before I stumbled on the midnight channel at 12.01 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Somewhere, the show still exists, waiting for its next viewer. And I'm its next star. Midnight Channel. I need to tune into more of that. Damn. Alright, let's see what's going on with those old hookup game reruns. I was quite the catch in those days. No. Oh. Who am I kidding? Women are still dying to meet me. 
Welcome back to the Hookup Game. I'm Graham Rowett, and with me is Audrey Cross. She's just taken a seat and is about ready to ask her questions to the three amazing bachelors that await her. Are you ready, Audrey? Why can't we use the questions I wrote down? <laughs> Isn't she a character, folks? Take it away, Miss Cross. All right. This one is for bachelor number one. If I was on my deathbed, how would you console me during my final moments? Oh, oh my, you're not, you're not really dying, are you? I, 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 I really couldn't handle you dying. We, we just met. This is, this is so tragic. I missed you so much. Wow, okay then. Uh, bachelor number two? I wouldn't. <gasps> Not even a little? No. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. Bachelor number one. I'm all dressed up to go to a fancy restaurant with you. And you notice I'm missing something. What is it? Great shoes. We need to find some for you. Now. <laughs> Bachelor number three? Me? Just slip my arm around your waist, and you've got all the attention in the world. <laughs> Bachelor number two. You're on a date with someone, and they keep talking and talking, and you can't get a word in. How do you stop them without hurting their feelings? Kill them. <laughs> That's kind of extreme, don't you think? What would you do? Me? I wouldn't kill them. Why not? Because it's... Well, I don't know. You'd go to jail. <laughs> Work smart, not hard, girlfriend. <laughs> Bachelor number three? Huh? Same question. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you want, baby. You like candy? Feast your eyes on this. I can't see you, idiot. <laughs> Whatever. Bachelor number one, we're making out and you get a text alert on your phone. How badly do you want to read that text? Uh, oh, that's a hard one. I, I mean, obviously I'm with you, so I definitely need to give you all the attention you deserve. But, you know, I am a bit OCD. Knowing I have an unread text would, would really bug me, you know? Yeah, but I mean, we'd be making out. I know, I know. I, I would be so broken during that moment. <laughs> Bachelor number two? I don't own a phone. What? How would we talk when we're apart? 
Why would we want to? Good point. Bachelor number three, do I even want to ask? Hear that, baby? Good. Because you won't be hearing any phone over the sounds of our passion. I was actually going to ask you... Sorry, bachelor number three. We'll never know what she was going to ask you. Audrey, your time is up, and it's time to make a decision. Oh, joy of joys. <laughs> Who will it be? Bachelor number one? We'll be great at this, Audrey. I promise. Oh. Bachelor number two. I have a grenade in my pocket. I just thought you all should know. <laughs> or bachelor number three. I'll autograph your panties, babe. You don't even have to ask. <laughs> Audrey? You're all awful. I mean, this was an even worse experience than I imagined. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with bachelor number one. Say hello to Mr. Explody. for this good luck audrey quick somebody call my lawyer oh my god what's what's happening someone screamed grenade oh the warden just killed wilson brooks in front of a live studio audience all right, all right i get it you want to be a badass alpha totally cool totally cool bros before hoes right just uh let me live and I won't try anything heroic. Oh, shut up, la douche. <gasps> oh, the warden just threw a sickle into Mike LaBeef's face. Wait, what? Holy shit! Yeah, well, guess I win. Uh... Hi, Audrey. Ah! What the hell? What the hell are you? They, they call me the warden. You want to get a coffee or something? Oh. Uh, well, yeah. That's cool. Uh, I like coffee. All right. Here. Let me get the door for you. Here you go, Audrey. Ladies first. You know, I have a feeling that this is going to be a date that you'll remember for the rest of your life.
about the good old days. I miss Audrey. It's a shame it didn't work out, but like they say, a play is gonna play. Hmm. I think I have time to check out one more door. Let's see. It was my birthday. I was alone again, but I was used to it by now, and had figured out how to keep myself company. In the background, a lady's voice began to sing, trilling from a baby monitor on the table in the corner. dryly. I was officially 21 years old now. Old enough to drink, and old enough to do whatever the hell I wanted. The handle of tequila had been sitting next to the baby monitor all night, tempting me with its silvery liquid. When I heard the voice singing my name, I took it as the signal that I could finally indulge. I grabbed the tequila and took a long swig. It burned the back of my throat and warmed my chest. This was my first real drink of alcohol, and I didn't know what to expect, other than feeling good. Mother had always warned me against the dangers of underage drinking. She said it was not only against the law, but a slap to God's face. Drunkenness is a sin, my child, and drunkenness at an unlawful age is even worse. She had said. Not only does it stain your temple, but it also breaks the laws of the leaders who God has appointed. The liquor hit my stomach hard. I hadn't eaten in 21 days straight, and there was nothing but acid boiling inside me. I was certain I had multiple ulcers by now. I'd woken up every morning with shooting pain in my abdomen, and whenever I tried to move, I grew so tired that all I wanted to do was lie back down. 
the locks outside my door jangled, and I heard a set of keys methodically opening each at one. Mother was here. I was an adult now, and Mother had always promised me that when the day came, I could start making adult decisions. A boy needs his parents to guide him, for he is childish and full of wickedness, she would say. But when he is a man, he must give up his childish ways and seek the Lord on his own. I was done being a child. I'd spent my entire life in this room and I was ready to be an adult in the real world. Grabbing the handful of tequila, I took another long swig. It burned, but my body was growing warmer and a pleasant buzzing sensation had crept in. Mother entered the room. She closed the door, holstered her keys with one hand, and then held out a cake. Happy birthday, Mai. Mother paused, and a look of concern crept onto her face. Dear, please tell me you haven't started drinking already. Shame and confusion crawled up my back, raising the hairs on my neck. I looked down at the tequila in my hands and replied, You said I could drink when I turned 21. And are you 21 yet? I tried to think. Had I forgotten something important? I was too dizzy from the lack of food and an excess of liquor that images in my mind were fuzzy and jumbled together. I didn't understand. Mother opened the door, set the cake down outside, then walked back and placed her hands on her hips. What time were you born at, dear? My cheeks flushed red. I panicked and dropped the bottle. It shattered, and alcohol spilled onto the floor in front of my feet. I started shaking. I had sinned, and there was no taking it back. Eleven? I said with a labored sigh. My lips grew heavy, and the words oozed out slowly and painfully. Eleven. Oh, nine. And what time is it now? Her voice had dropped an octave, and I could hear the judgment pronounced in every syllable. 1101? My throat tightened. Patience is a virtue, my dear. You know this. Have you forgotten what the good Lord tells us? No, Mother. Tears began to well in my eyes. I thought of the cake she had brought in. I'd only seen it for a few seconds at most before she took it out of the room. It looks so inviting and tasty. Perseverance and faith shall carry you through the trials and persecutions, my dear. The good Lord tempts his followers to test their faith. You have given in to temptation. The lines on Mother's face dropped as she frowned again. Do you want to be counted worthy for your suffering? Or don't you? Yes, Mother. Of course, I said choking on my words. The tears continued to fall. I could see my freedom slowly fading from my grasp. How did I make such a simple mistake? Only a few more minutes, and I would have been fine. Instead, I chose to sin. It appears you're not ready to give up the ways of a child. Mother looked at the mess in front of my feet and shook her head. You disappoint me, dear. I had such faith that you would be ready. When? 
I paused. Mother's outline seemed to blur for a second, and then returned to normal. When will I be ready? When God tells us it is time. I'd heard her repeat that phrase many times. It seemed like God's time was different than mine. I had waited 21 years and I didn't know about God. That seemed like a damn long time to me. I loped forward and tried to grasp Mother's skirt. I was trembling, and in my drunkenness, I missed my target instead grazing her skirt and grasping helplessly at the doorframe. I scratched and clawed as she tried to leave. Please! I begged. Please, I'm ready. I'll pray for forgiveness, I swear. Mother grabbed my hand and shoved me. I couldn't fight back even if I tried. She was a good foot taller than me and had more meat on her bones than I did. I fell backward, tripping and falling onto a piece of glass. Mother furrowed her brows and wagged her finger. The wages of sin are death. I will come for you when you have made your peace with God. Then, she was gone. forced myself to my knees. A large piece of glass had speared through the back of my right leg and broke through the skin on the top of my thigh. There was a small trickle of blood around the wound. I touched it, expecting pain, but there was only warm liquid. I lifted my fingers and licked them, revealing a salty flavor. It tasted amazing. Far better than the bland diet Mother kept me on when she wasn't forcing me to fast and grow closer to God. I placed my hand against the wound and scooped up a line of blood, then licked it. The acid inside my gut churned and worked to eat something other than my stomach lining. I examined the wound. There was only a little bit of blood, since the glass was blocking the hole. If I just removed it, I could have all I wanted and I wouldn't be hungry. I tugged at the glass just a tiny bit to see what would happen. It was uncomfortable, but mostly I felt pressure and not pain. What would Jesus do? The words ran through my head as I considered the words mother had drilled into me. Anger filled my soul. Jesus wouldn't do shit. It had been 21 years and there was no end in sight. I hadn't eaten in almost a month and I was starving. Surely, Jesus would have to forgive me. Yanking the shard of glass out of my leg, I watched as the blood spurted out. I opened a major artery, and there was no stopping it now. I was going to die, that I was sure. But I was still so hungry, I just wanted to fill my stomach. I cupped my hands underneath the blood flow, catching as much as I could then raised it to my mouth and laughed at it like a dog. It was so refreshing. Warmer than I would have liked, but it was something. 
the more I laughed at it, the more I wanted. It was only liquid after all. I needed food inside of me. I needed it now! I squeezed the glass shard tight between my fingers and then pressed it against the wound, sawing at it until a chunk of flesh ripped free. I raised the flesh to my mouth and chewed. It was thin and slightly tough to the bite. I swallowed. It didn't taste like anything special, but it filled the empty hole. My vision blurred and returned and blurred again. I was lightheaded, probably the loss of blood. I didn't care. I wanted more. Again, I brought the glass down on myself and sawed away. I pressed the sharp edge past the skin and into the meaty flesh beneath. The glass struck a nerve as I dug deeper, and an electric jolt of pain shot through me. It hurt like hell, but the pain made me alert. I felt alive! My stomach churned. I ripped off my shirt. And without thinking, I plunged the glass into my belly and twisted it left and right. God, it fucking hurt. But it made me feel something. And I had been in the state of limbo so long, I welcomed it. I pressed my fingers inside my belly and felt around, then grabbed the first thing I felt and yanked on it. It was soft and warm. The cavity beneath my skin grew larger as I pulled. My vision blurred even more and I felt the blood leaving me quick. Overcome by the shock of blood loss, I fell on my back. Looking up, I saw what I had been tugging on. Part of my intestines had coiled together in a pink mass on my abdomen. Through the haze, it looked kind of like a funnel cake, topped with strawberry syrup. I salivated at the thought. It was my birthday after all, and I deserved all the cake I could get. Yeah, that was fun, right? <laughs> well, we'll just go ahead and give the shoutouts where they're necessary, which is everywhere. So, the Warden intro story was written by our very own Mr. Brian Black. Brian also wrote that entire dating game scene, which that was a lot of fun to produce. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did creating it. So I wanted to give credit to everybody that was in there. So in the very opening part there, you have myself as the warden, Jason Wilson, and uh, you'll hear the commercial for the Church of the One. That was voiced by the lovely Erin Lillis. Now you can check her out on Twitter at Ravy13. We are always honored to have Miss Lillis join us for any productions. And after that, we got into the game show, which was uh, also written by Brian Black. You can find out more about Brian Black or follow him on Twitter at Darth Chair. The following were the roles. Audrey was voiced by Miss Erin Lillis, again at Ravy13. The wonderful 
announcer voice at the beginning was by Mr. Mike Riggs. Uh, he joins us from the Steamrollers Adventure podcast and the upcoming Copperheart, which I think uh, everybody here should really pay attention for. I think it's going to be excellent. A lot of great, talented people in that podcast. Uh, you can find out more about him and all of that at rigstories.com. There will be a link in the show note for that. So thanks, Mike, ever so much. Did a great job. The uh, host, Graham Rowett, was voiced by, well, himself. Graham Rowett. He did himself. So you can always reach out and follow Mr. Rowett and his exceptional talent on Twitter at GrahamNY. Mr. Wilson Brooks was voiced by a friend of ours, uh, Alastair Mackey. I'm sure you've heard Alastair before in a few of our other episodes. He always delivers an exceptional product. And, uh, he is really fun to work with, and I'll tell you what, he blows me away every time I listen to what he has to do. So you can always check him out on Twitter at Alistair Mackey. And then I couldn't leave out LaBeef. Michael LaBeef was voiced by none other than Mr. David O. Steele. You may be familiar with David from Ice Station Bravo, the most re- recent release from us, which I believe was last week. Yeah, gosh, I've been buried in this so much, I'm losing my days, so... You can always reach out to David, which we would highly recommend, on Twitter at David O. Steele. And then again, you know, the warden was voiced by me. I know this all sounds a little different than normal, guys. This is a mid-season extravaganza. This is our way of just saying thank you for supporting us, and thank you for continuing to listen to us, and we have a lot more to deliver, and we hope that you stick around. But all of the audio work was done by me, Jason Wilson. You can follow me on Twitter at audio torment and we also had a wonderful addition by jm sheriff he did some additional scoring in this now he wrote all of the music for midnight channel and he did all of the music for the dating game he did all of that i mean he he did it like a couple of days too so the guy's a effing phenomenal musician and composer and uh, just a great asset to the team so do us a favor go to jmsheriffmusic.com or at JM Scherf Music and go ahead and give him a like, follow, and check him out too. So we always sound and feel better knowing that we have him on the team as well. And this week's uh, episode's artwork was given to us by none other than Mr. Brooks Bigley. Brooks is a phenomenal character. We absolutely love Brooks a ton. He's uh, very active on the social media, make sure that we keep our ducks in a row, and he's pretty much kind of there to let us know how we're doing. So Brooks at Brooks Bigley. Brooks, thanks, brother. Love you, love you. You guys do an excellent job. So, on to the stories. Now, like I said, these two stories were submitted to us during our Behind the Door contest for the third preseason episode and the Halloween story, and we liked these so much we had to use them. All right, so the first story in the mix was called Midnight Channel. That was submitted to us by, well, a name some of you might recognize, Tara Devlin. She has been featured on No Sleep Podcast and now here, The Gray Rooms. That story was creepy, wonderful, and awesome. I really enjoyed it and I had to use it. I just had to use it. It was just me and Brian kept talking about that story. So thank you, Tara. And you guys can uh, follow Tara on Twitter too if you wanted to. Just go ahead and check her out at Tara A. Devlin on Twitter. And uh, yeah, please do as much you can to support uh, indie authors and uh, voice actors and actresses as much as possible because that's what it's all about right in midnight channel the uh two actors that you did here and there were aaron king she did a wonderful job 
You can follow Aaron King at unabashedly Aaron on Twitter. And then, of course, the uh, guy in the Midnight Channel who is haunting her is voiced by Graham. And you can uh, follow Graham Road on Twitter at GrahamNY. Now on to the next story, the Hot Pockets. Mm-hmm. Hunger Pains. The first time I heard this story, I said, yes, this has to be in there. I love this story. It really is, uh, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, it's just my kind of thing. I Sometimes I'm more of a gore kind of guy, but I do like the, the, the scary ghost kind of stuff. But this one, I loved. And this was sent to us by Javier Luna. You can follow Javier on Twitter at Moxie Javi. Pretty simple, right? The two voice actors that we had help us create that nightmare were uh, Patrick Mealy. Now, we lovingly referred to him as Birthday Boy because that's what he was in the episode. And you can follow Patrick Mealy on Twitter at PatMikeVA. And playing the mother ever so wonderfully at that was voiced by none other than Charlotte Norup. You can follow Charlotte on Twitter at TooShyNorup. Great job, everybody. This double feature was and is only possible because you continue to listen and support us. Feel free to stop by any of the podcast apps that you use to listen to us and leave a five-star review. And uh, yeah, because it helps get us out there. And also, if you'd like to financially support the show, because you know, it's not free. We give it to you for free, but it does cost us quite a bit of money to produce it. Feel free to stop over to patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the gray rooms pod on Twitter at the gray rooms pod, Instagram at the gray rooms podcast and online at the gray So again, this was just kind of our way of saying thank you. It's been a lot of fun. The, you know, the hair's down and now that we got that out of the way, drinks up cause Time for a break. Woo! And oh yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs>